and then the Lord speaks to you and you recognize it yeah. and obey it immediately. Good morning, everyone. This is Jamie Souls. I'm here on the the uh, Chinook podcast, and I'm just delighted that we're going to be able to have a conversation this morning. I'm here today with Brad Donovan. Uh, we are both elders here in Christ's Covenant Church. Uh, our pastor, Nathan, was going to join us, but he decided he'd rather cough instead. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. <laughs> so, yes. There, that was a sympathy cough. <laughs> okay, um, it's uh, it's early mid September here in Grand Prairie, and this morning the temperature was hovering right just above zero at my house. Yeah, which means that I need to start digging my potatoes up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's time to start digging those things up. Yep. Okay, today it's our intention to pursue a uh, course that we've started recently on uh, walking through some of the books of the Bible and what they are about. Before we do that, uh, we usually do some book recommendations, and mm-hmm. so let us start with some book recommendations. What have you got, Brad, Well, you're recommending? I'm recommending a book that uh, my daughter is currently reading for her uh, school work, uh, Eusebius Church History. <clears throat> now, Eusebius has a bad reputation among uh, the sorts of folks who uh, don't take the Bible seriously. Okay. <laughs> so the liberal critics uh, of, of scriptures don't like Eusebius because he happens to tell the truth a lot. Well, is that really the case? That's interesting. Because yeah. I remember hearing about that bad reputation when I was in Bible college in yes. the 80s. Yeah, he's routinely uh, slammed in the mm. literature. But when you actually look at his uh, what he wrote... What he wrote, a lot of it, you can you can verify it by other sources and see that he's actually right. Okay. A very great uh, proportion of the time. Interesting. And w- where he makes mistakes, it's just the normal mistakes that a man makes, right? Right. Uh, the other thing that people really hate him for is that he was personal friends with Constantine. Oh, this, of course. And this is this is the big problem you see is because Constantine. You see, it was Constantine who tempted Eve in the garden <laughs> and caused her to eat the fruit. He, he is the uh, Yeah, so the you can't guy. hang out with that guy. No, you, he, you can't do that. Uh, Eusebius actually wrote and uh, delivered Constantine's funeral oration at his state funeral. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the, um, that to a certain class of Christian is anathema. Right. Uh, <clears throat> certain Christians are sort of like that dog chasing the car down the street, mm-hmm. and once they catch it, they have nothing... No idea. <laughs> no idea what to do with it. <laughs> no idea what to do with it. And when somebody else in the church catches that car running down the street, yes, and then they find out something to do with it, we have nothing but criticism. Right. So Eusebius, I recommend him. If you're going to study the first three centuries of the church's history, you cannot do it apart from Eusebius's records, and he's very generally, in the main, reliable. So okay, very yeah. good. So is it uh, is it dangerous to say uh, something like? I like Constantine. I love Constantine. <laughs> I Now, one of the things that we started just last night was our church history lecture series. Mm-hmm. And that one was of awesome. The, oh, thank you. Uh, I had a good time. One of the things I aim to do in that series is um, rehabilitate Constantine's reputation. Ah. 
in our neck of the woods. Okay, so you, you are actually going to be taking a fairly decent run at it because yes. uh, your, your, first, uh, your first set just took us through really the biography of one guy. Yep. Uh, first, a, a good setup for what you're doing, and then a biography of one guy. Well, there's lots of guys. Yes, with, there's lots of such guys. biographies. And, and I aim to cover quite a few of them. Okay. So uh, not all of them, but uh, as many as I can. In the in the next uh, lecture, I aim to go over um, Polycarp okay. and um, Ignatius, and then after him, Irenaeus. Okay. Uh, I also want to co- cover the Shepherd of Hermas as, as a, a document. We don't know really who wrote it. There's some tradition that Clement wrote it, but I don't, uh, I don't think that it, I don't think he wrote it. Right. It just doesn't. It doesn't smell like his writing. Right. I mean, at least so, if you take first so time. What, I, what I'm thinking about this, though, yeah. Brad, is that uh, you say you're you're going to be working at rehabilitating the reputation of Constantine. Yes. Uh, it's it's easy to take a flyover and look down and see the ground is all black, and so it just doesn't. Uh, there's nothing good there. Right. Uh, but when you actually get down and you start reading the fathers themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, some of them are actually readable, you said. Yes. Which is good. And some of them are dense like like pound cake. Oh yes. Fruit cake. <laughs> fruit cake, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some you, you'll you'll take a slice of that with 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 some cheese and then uh right. twelve months later try it again. The um <laughs> yeah some of them are very readable. Uh some of them are not. So and some of them are more or less ably translated. Right. That's another issue. Another issue, I'm we're, sure. we're dealing with them in, in the English language because I'm not a Greek or a Latin scholar. So Right. So uh, look for that later on the uh, Chinook podcast. We're going to be posting some of these uh, some of these lectures that Brad gives on church history. Uh, I think that'll be a really good thing. Speaking of history, not church history, but I guess peripheral to church history and and touching on church history. I have a book in my hand called The White and the Gold by Thomas Costain. I read this about 15 years ago. Uh, this is the story of the settlement of the French along the St. Lawrence River mm. in the early 1600s and, and what it took to finally get settlements working along there. A little bit. It's of... an it's an excellent read. <laughs> There's all kinds of interesting things that we that we find out that that I never read in any sort of Canadian history. We didn't really have very much Canadian history. Not very much in no. school. A little bit. Uh, but uh, I, I never read about Father Brebeuf or any of those characters. He was a he was a martyr. He was a Christian martyr in mm-hmm. Canada early. Yep. And we have uh, our martyrs. There, There's all kinds of awesome things that happened in the deeps of Canadian history. And this book actually walks us through a whole lot of that story, and it's just really good stuff. Yeah, the, uh, we, we have martyrs in the Canadian church. That we do. And uh, another interesting thing is that a lot of the French settlers in Quebec in the first two generations were Huguenots. Yeah, yeah there's quite a bunch of them they were, were. They were reformed. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Yeah. The, the, the French were keen to get them out of France. Yeah. <clears throat> so they sent them here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. You know, even uh, the fellow who's, who's noted as the father of Canada, uh, Samuel de Champlain, yeah. uh, it's pretty apparent that he grew up a Protestant. I think he became Roman Catholic because in, uh, in French politics, you could not be a captain of a ship and, and not be a Roman Catholic. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's probably why he went Roman Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they also brought strip farming to mm-hmm. North America. Uh, here in North America, all of our farming is done in square plots of consolidated land. Right. In Europe, it was all done in strips mm-hmm. and then later consolidated. Well, there are parts of Quebec along the St. Lawrence Seaway where your property lines are you know, 50 feet wide and yeah. a quarter mile long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because of that. Oh, great fun. And you can read about it in The White and the Gold by Thomas Costain. Mm-hmm. This came out, uh, this was, I checked the print date, it was 1954. Oh, excellent. On this book. So this is well before the woke. It's well before the woke. Perfect. <laughs> and that right there is a recommendation. <laughs> yes, it's got things, things going for it already. <laughs> All right, so we've been walking through the book of Genesis. Yes. So this is episode two in our Walk Through the Bible series. And we are in chapter 12. Yes, and we're going to have to go at a fairly quick pace. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about the flyover because it's kind of our intention in this to, to give an overview of each of the books mm-hmm. in the scriptures. Now, it was, uh, uh, there was so much that went on that is pertinent to everything that followed in the first 11 chapters Mm-hmm. of Genesis. We had to spend a whole issue on that one. Uh, but I think we'll be able to move along at a little bit of a better clip. Yeah, we might get past chapter 22. Yeah, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> so in chapter 12, we have the call of Abram. Okay. All right, so we've uh, opened verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so God God comes to Abram. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to put this in its historical setting. It's really helpful to do that. Mm -hmm. How how long before Abram, do you know, was uh, the Tower of Babel? It wouldn't have been that far before him. Uh, it, yeah, it had to have been... Only a couple generations. Well, it, it could have been more, I think. Um, you know, I've... I've uh, uh, the, the genealogical information that is given us in, uh, in the list going down from uh, Noah down to Abraham, I think he's, he's 11 or 12 generations, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, so there, there's quite a lot of generations that go through there. Um, there's, uh, there's a school of thought that uh, has a good bit to commend it that looks at some of those, uh, some of those numbers that are given us, like how, how uh, this guy was 35 years old when he... He got when yeah. he fathered such and such, and then he lived four hundred more years. Uh, yeah, that there was. Uh, there are some folks who argue there was a deliberate scrubbing of the hundred before that thirty-five. So he was really one hundred and thirty-five years old. Mm. Uh, there's uh, there's an there's some to commend that idea because there are a number of things in the ancient world that it's difficult to account for uh, if you don't have enough time. Okay, I'm thinking about pyramids and things like that. Uh, 
if you have Aliens. if you have an extra <laughs> if you have an extra six or seven hundred years, yeah. it does you can accommodate such things, which is interesting to me. But that is an aside. Yeah. Well, the thing about the uh, about uh, the time from Noah to the um, the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. there is another theory. If you go back to chapter ten mm-hmm. of Genesis, we're talking about Peleg, the son of Eber. Yes. It says in verse 25, to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. Yes. So in Peleg, the name Peleg means division. Now, he's also listed again in chapter 11, that when he lived 30 years, he, had, he fathered yep. a son named Reu. Mm-hmm. So one of the theories is that we can place the Tower of Babel during Peleg's lifetime yes. or, or be- just before his lifetime. I, I've heard that too. So that he's, if that's the case, then we're half, basically halfway between Shem and Terah. Okay. For the Tower of Babel. Yeah. So, I mean, now that, what that means is that Abram could have, like, because Peleg lived, uh, according to the text, 209 years after he fathered Rehu. Right. So he lived for 239 years. Right. And if I'm not much mistaken, that means that he could have, Abram could have talked to the guy. Yes. If, if they yes. could have understood if, each if other. If the short dates that were given for, uh, mm-hmm. for how old they were when, uh, when they fathered such and such, and then they lived X number of years, yep. uh, if those numbers are accurate, Abram could have actually talked to Shem. Because mm-hmm. yep. Shem lived 500 years after the, uh, the flood. The flood, yeah. So, okay. So if that's really true, then Abram could have actually consulted yep. the old fellow. And that would have been a very interesting conversation. Yeah, it would have. <laughs> Which I, I bet you, here's the thing though, right? I bet you that if, uh, I bet you they, they would have. Like, come on. You'd think. Uh, you'd think. Like, if I was Abram, I definitely would want to. Now, the other thing too is that when Abram receives this call from the Lord, he knows it's the Lord. Mm-hmm. And we know from other sources that Terah was, his father, Terah, was a, um, an, an idolater mm-hmm. of some note. In the end of Joshua, it says so. Yeah. So if, you, uh, if you're Abram and you grow up in a family where you're worshiping false gods and yeah. idols, and then the Lord speaks to you and you recognize it yeah. and obey it immediately, mm-hmm. like how? Well, yeah. There, there's, how does the Spirit of God work? Yeah. Right? You know, that he wasn't poured out on the world as he was after Pentecost. True. But the fact is that the Spirit, uh, he must have worked in Abram in such a way mm-hmm. that Abram was able to discern exactly who this was. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, have to, you have to think that with the, uh, with the uh, scattering at Babel, mm-hmm. when, when God came down and confused the languages because they were all setting up to rebel against him culturally, and God said, ah, let's cut this short. <laughs> and so he made them all confused, and they, you know, the architects all come to work one morning, and they, they sit across the table from one another, and they can't understand a word one another's saying, and there's fist fights. And there's Morning safety <laughs> meetings have never been the same since. Yeah. Uh, yes. But that, that would have happened with the whole world, and yeah. and. The, the religions of the world, there's lots of old religions in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they got their rise That's coming out of Babel because, because they, they came from somewhere with this 
this conception of who God was and of who man is and, and of what society's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're all twisted. They're all confused. And confused. Yes. Okay. Well, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's out of this soup that God picked a man. Mm-hmm. God picked Abram. Yep. Uh, it's like he, he was looking for, I don't know, uh, is God just looking for the right guy? You know, in the in the grand scheme of things, of course, Abram was in his plan. Yeah. But it's well, it's almost like he went, okay, well, here's a here's, here's the a right dude. guy. Yeah, here's a guy. Yeah. And so he goes and reveals himself to Abram. Yep. And Abram recognizes mm-hmm. that this is God Almighty talking to him. Yep. Okay. Uh, so that's a first. Mm-hmm. That's a first. That's a development, a covenantal development. In history, after the uh, scattering at Babel, and it, if you uh, like, if you're a fan of ancient history, mm-hmm. uh, you can you can go to like the Royal Museum and look at cuneiform tablets, right? From Ur, oh yeah, that we still have that would have been from this time period. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting until we uh, find the um, like a warranty receipt. Yeah, <laughs> that Abram, you know, chicken scratches into this in this clay tablet. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> the barley you sold me was trash. Give me my money back. You know? So uh, Abram was, uh, was a man from Ur, which is one of the oldest human settlements. Yeah, uh, so that, that's right down in the, right down there, in the, yeah. uh, the delta of the Euphrates River going out into the... Yeah, into the Persian Gulf. The Persian Gulf. So it's just north of modern Basra. Right. So the, um, the whole, that whole area is a lot more desert than it was back then. Right. Uh, they Back in Abram's day, they irrigated the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and they were flooding it with river water from the Euphrates and from the Tigris, but mostly from the Euphrates because it carries more water. Right. But um, so this is a fairly major center he's called out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in order to get to Palestine, he has to travel north yeah. up the Euphrates. Yes, you can't travel straight across because it's all desert. Yeah, and then when he, uh, it says that he got to Haran, and then they settled there. So Haran, um, he moved from old Sumer into old um, Assyria, Yeah, Asher. And this is before the Assyrian Empire, long before that. Um, Assyria and Asher was actually a minor kingdom that was at some points under the suzerainty of the Sumerians, okay. and at other points... Uh, the uh, the Hittites or the Mitanni at this time. So it's almost a frontier town right? up in the north. And then he comes south. Right. Now, if you remember, Abe left out of Ur not knowing where he was going. Yeah, he's, he's literally we're, we're told that in Hebrews. Yeah, he's literally wandering. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so he, he goes way up north because there's a road. Yep. It takes you way up north. It goes there, yeah. Way better than crossing that desert. Yeah. And uh, who knows how far it goes across that desert. <laughs> yeah. And who knows who he'll run into. So. And then he comes south into Canaan. He comes south into Canaan, and God tells him, mm-hmm. not immediately, I don't think, but he does tell him that, that he is going to inherit all this land. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in Genesis 13, we get that promise from God that he is going to... Uh, that 12. Abram is supposed to, is it still 12? Where Abram is told by God, walk through the land yep. uh, from north to south. And I will give this land. And I'll here. give you everything that yep. you see. 
Yeah. That, that's in 12 still? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because at the end of 12, he goes down into Egypt because there's a famine in the land. Yeah. And this is the first case where Abram uh, has, uh, has difficulty on account of the beauty of his wife. Yes. <laughs> Border crossings are difficult with a pretty yes. woman. They are. <laughs> so um, just, you know, a word to the wise. In those days in particular, because, yes. uh, you know, what... The church often gets after Abram yeah. for his behavior here. And they look at him and they say, oh, he's so cowardly. Right. And I don't know. I think what do he... you do? <laughs> what do you do? What, the, what is revealed to us about who Pharaoh was yep. is that he was in power in an important nation. And he had men out spying the border looking for pretty women. Yeah, what does that tell us about Pharaoh? What does that tell us about Pharaoh? Yeah, I think Abram was 100% right. <clears throat> I think he measured him rightly. Yes. And the, the interesting thing is when Pharaoh uh, discovers that he's got another man's wife, mm-hmm. <laughs> he panics. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he panics, I think. Uh, is this the one where he had the vision? Yeah, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. Okay, so Pharaoh... Finds out that it's the Lord afflicting him. Yes. And he knows that the Lord is associated with Abram. Yeah. He knows this is Abram's God. So Abram has not been silent. Yes, Abram's been calling out to God. Yes. Ab- Abram's been calling out to God. He's also, he's been preaching somehow. Yeah. Because Pharaoh knows yeah. the Lord is afflicting me and the Lord is Abram's God. I need to talk to him. Yeah. So then he's like, what did you do? <laughs> what yeah. And he says to him, what have you done to me? Yes, right? what have you done to me? <laughs> I, I, just, I, just, I just stole your wife. Stole your wife. What have you, what done, have to you done to me? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Abram, Abram measured Pharaoh correctly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, he... Um, and then, then he, uh, he's, he sends Abram away. Right. And, uh, but but yeah. note how he sends Abram away. Right. Uh, right there... In that, in the end of twelve, mm-hmm. they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. But you'll discover mm-hmm. uh, shortly thereafter, it speaks about Abram and how rich he was in livestock, in silver, yep. in gold. He was a wealthy okay? man. He was a wealthy man, and when Abe came back up out of Egypt, he had a whole lot mm-hmm. of Egyptian plunder with yep. him. Including people. Yeah. People were included in this. So Abe comes back up among the people that come along, that were sent along, comes a young lady named Hagar. Yep. She's in that crowd. Yeah, and we, okay. we run into her big time in, uh, in chapter 16. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and according to the Apostle Paul, she is a type. Yes, yeah. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. I wonder what Hagar would have said about that. <laughs> what do you mean I'm a type? <laughs> I'm Abram's type, apparently. <laughs> a typo. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then we get in chapter 13, we get the separation, another separation. So yeah. we have the separation uh, in chapter 10 with uh, Babel. Yeah. But now we get a separation between Abram and Lot. And Lot. Lot, his nephew. Yes. And there is, uh, uh, there, there's an interesting feature that you'll notice when you're considering Genesis, directions matter. Uh-huh. 
Directions matter. There's a whole lot of things that matter that uh, we don't really expect that they'll matter, but they do. Every time someone in Genesis leaves the presence of God or leaves the presence of God's uh, man, he always goes east. Mm-hmm. Every time. That, that's an interesting thing to to consider. Yeah, uh, and Lot they, goes eastward. Yes, Lot goes eastward and leaves Abram. <clears throat> How does they, that they work? They never leave long? and go west. No. No, Abram went west. Yeah, he goes west. He went west yeah. at the call of God. Yeah. When people are leaving God, they're turning and they're going east. That which happens is, all the time. Which is almost like a symbolic return to Babylon. Yeah. Or um, Sumer, yeah. Well, <laughs> chapter 14. I, I have wonders about that, I, living I, in I, Western Canada like yes. this. <laughs> I do, yes. Go go west, young man, go west. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Clearly, this is why we refer to Alberta as the promised land or uh, God's mm. country. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So... Chapter 14 is an interesting one. So you've got a, uh, a war happening. Yes. In, in Palestine. So yep. in the days of this area, Amraphel, King This of area that Abe has moved into. Yeah. It's a border. It gets region. famines. Yeah. There's war. It's, it's very exciting. It's, there's all kinds of stuff going on in this land. Now, there's a couple of small details that, that uh, I find interesting, personally. They, they, they tickle my fancy. Okay. So it's in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Okay, so ki- the king of Shinar, that's Sumer. That's where right. Abram came from. Oh. That's, that's his home. So his home actually has dominion out there in... Well, they're, they're claiming dominion. They're claiming dominion out there in Palestine. So the king of Shinar, so that's where Abram comes from, uh, the king of Elisar, and Ketoleum or king of Elam, uh, and uh, Tidal, king of Goyim. So Elam. We know where Elam is, and we know where Shinar is. Mm-hmm. Elam is in uh, the, basically the southern coast of modern-day Iran. Okay, so, so it's a long way over. A long way over. So, and at the time, they were, uh, they were an imperial power. It's interesting to me that they are waging war alongside of the king of Shinar. So either... Either you've got a situation where the Babylonian kingdom has predominance over Elam or the Elamite kingdom has predominance over Babylon. Both of those situations existed in history. But these dudes walked all the way from southern Iran <laughs> into southern Palestine. Yeah. Okay, so... That's uh, a long way. That is a long way. You can measure that on a globe. You can. Uh, and, and you cannot walk it in a few days. So the, um, the kings that were in the... Uh, in the um, the Valley of Siddim, so that's around the Salt Sea yeah. or uh, the Dead Sea. The, these had served Ketel, uh, Keter Leomer. So it seems like the Elamites were predominant at this point. Yeah. Uh, so he comes after 12 years to beat them up because they stopped paying taxes. Right. <laughs> now, when you think about it, that's a long way to send a tax. <laughs> it certainly is. And if you're going to send it year by year, you're going to have to send it via intermediaries mm-hmm. along the way. So a lot can go wrong there. So these guys, they come, and it seems to me that they they probably invaded on the eastern side of the Jordan, probably. Right. It, it just, from looking at this. But then they go north, and Abram hears about this. So one who escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre. Okay, so... I believe Mamre's in central central Israel. 
yeah, South Central. Central, South Central, South Central. So we're we're somewhere in there in the precincts of of Jerusalem, like down near Jerusalem, Hebron, that area. Yeah. And uh, so he takes his 318 trained men of war that live in his house. They were born in his house. They were born in his house. That's what it says. And he chases this massive <laughs> army, this Elamite powerhouse. Yes, those guys from back home. Yeah, the guys from back home. He chases them. Uh, he pursued them as far as Dan. Which is way in the north of, way in the of north. Israel's later territory. Yeah, so he, he pursued them as far as Dan... And then he divided his forces against them by night and defeated them and pursued them north of Damascus. Yes, that's a long way. Yes, so 318 men chasing a large army mm-hmm. all the way north. They, they, they split their forces at night, uh, violating every rule of warfare. Never divide an inferior force in the face of a superior force. I wonder if uh, Gideon was uh, using I, Abe as a as template. A, I, I bet you. I bet you Gabe was th- or, um, Gideon was thinking about this. <laughs> So he divides his force at night and then routes this enemy from Dan north of Damascus. Mm -hmm. Like this is a substantial chase. Yeah. Um, If you're chasing an enemy to Damascus and they are from Elam, you've chased them past where they wanted to turn right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like like these people are are flying away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he returns all the stuff. And then we get this marvelous story with Melchizedek, which later comes up in Hebrews. Yes, it does. Uh, Melchizedek shows up uh, as this king of Salem. I think that's probably mm-hmm. Jerusalem, yep. likely. Yeah, that's where most people. Um, that uh, uh, and he comes out and blesses Abram, and Abram gives him a tithe, a tenth of yes. everything, because he was a priest of God. Most he was high. a priest of God Most High, and <laughs> Abram thought maybe God Most High was only ever working with him. But lo and behold, here's another guy. And he gives him a tithe. Yes. Interesting. That is interesting. The lesser always tithes the yes. greater. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. All right. And we're uh, back from intermission. We uh, had some technical difficulties and the return of Pastor Nathan. Yes, I'm back. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So we're in uh, Genesis 14. We are plotting through the details of Abram. Now... Uh, we've got Melchizedek. You were going to say something, Jamie. Uh, well, Mel- Melchizedek shows up here. Uh, and so so as we're going through this story, you'll begin to recognize that there are a number of folk that are, that are spoken about in the New Testament. In Hebrews, Melchizedek mm-hmm. is set up as someone whose priesthood is greater than that of the priesthood that shows up with Aaron later on, mm-hmm. okay? And and that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, we're told. Right. Okay, well, here's the, this guy shows up in early Genesis here. And so I, I just want to, to point out to you how the scriptures move, mm-hmm. okay? There's, there's all this stuff that happened, and it's... It's easy to get lost in the details, and the details are lots of fun, uh, but there's, there's, God is doing big things, mm-hmm. and, and it's helpful to also stand back a little bit and to look at what some of those big things are as you're, as you're passing 
So uh, if we understand that it was God's intention from the beginning to send the Lord Jesus into the world, which we do, uh, that, that uh, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, it says mm-hmm. in, the, in the later scriptures, uh, God's intention is to, sh- is to uh, make the world ready for Jesus. Okay, well, how does he do that? How, how is he going to send his son into the world in such a way that he'll be recognized? Uh, well, the way that he chose to do it was to start by revealing himself to one man, Abram. Mm-hmm. Reveals himself to Abram, and, and Abram starts uh, through God's miraculous help to build a family and that family grows, grows very slowly. All the nations around, they're growing fast, but this one grows slowly. Grows slowly, and it's not until his grandson Jacob comes along uh, that where he has hardly any kids, right? He's got yep. 12, uh, whereas you know Isaac had two. Abraham had two, two and then, then six later on that didn't count towards <laughs> the covenant yeah. development. Yeah. But... Uh, it's this slow development from a man to a nation. Now there's a nation yeah. that is going to be made in, uh, in that are, these are God's people, yeah. okay? And the Messiah is going to come from God's people, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, there's this whole great long development to watch as you're going through. Uh, do, do dig into the details. Do... Uh, you can lose yourself in there, but Profitably. but but try and remember the yeah. long game. Yep, the long game is is what God did to bring Jesus into the world. Another thing that uh, definitely needs to be considered, especially with uh, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, mm-hmm. is that their their the elements of their biography are prophetic. Yes, they are. They are t- uh, typologically significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, chapter 15, we've got uh, God make, uh, making more clear, I guess, what this covenant arrangement yes. is. Yeah. Uh, you know, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision, right? So yeah. you've got uh, a very specific uh, promise. This is how big a land I'm giving your descendants, right? So it's, it's more specific. But you get down to Hagar uh, and Sarah in chapter 16, this, mm-hmm. this weird story where you've got a firstborn son that gets bypassed in terms of the covenant. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's Paul writes later that you know these are two covenants, Sarah yeah. and Hagar, mm-hmm. and he's talking about Israel, and he's talking about the new church. Yeah. So the, the firstborn is bypassed for the sake of the inheritance of the second. Yes. And we get this in Esau... And uh, Jacob as well. Yeah, that the firstborn is bypassed for the sake of the second. Yeah, didn't that happen all right from the beginning? It did. Right, Cain. Cain is first. Is first. Abel is second. Abel's the one who's carrying the torch. Yes. Not Cain. Yes. Uh, when when uh, a- when Abel is killed, and uh, Eve bears another son, she says that she's born a son to replace the one that was. Yep. That was taken. The blessing didn't go back to the so older. The blessing didn't go back to the older one. <laughs> it still came 
to the younger. Yeah, and what we'll, what we see as as we go forward in in the scriptures is that the the firstborn son can be included by faith in the blessing of the secondborn, yeah. but he doesn't get his own thing. Isn't that the way it yeah. works on the grand scale, right? Yeah, indeed. Because that's what God did with Jesus. Yep. Well, it's interesting with Jacob too. Like the firstborn son is not the one who. Uh, is, is in the line of promise. It's it's Judah. Yeah, that's another thing, too. Yes. Is that uh, Reuben is bypassed. Reuben yes. is bypassed uh, again. All, all the ones who, who sinned grievously in the pages before, Reuben did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he, he did. He slept with his father's concubine. Yeah, that's... Simeon did. Levi yeah. did. They were the, the uh, leaders of the debacle at uh, mm, debacle Shechem. at Shechem. Yes, where they were using the sign of the covenant as a weapon. Yes. They weaponized. Uh, and uh, Judah was the fourth. Yes. Judah was. was the fourth, but he inherited those promises. And uh, speaking of uh, Levi and Simeon, mm-hmm. and using that which uh, God intended for life as a means of murder, Yeah, the, uh, the, the Mosaic command against boiling a goat in its mother's milk. Right. I believe is a reflection on that event. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, the 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 sign of circumcision which God gave to Abraham in chapter seventeen mm-hmm. was intended as a as a sign of blessing. Yeah, mm, yeah, and not as a um, as a weapon to be used against Shechem. Yes, I mean Shechem committed a crime. To be sure, he should have been dealt with. Yeah, but uh, the but way that it was done doesn't David do something along those lines as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, bringing foreskins back as a sign of victory. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he goes and circumcises a bunch of those uncircumcised Philistines. <laughs> yeah. He made good Jews out of them. Um, but uh, I think they were dead when he did it. I, yeah, I, it wasn't. <laughs> so the, ca- the case of Levi Levi and Simeon was a case of brutality, whereas uh, David's, I think that situation was a bit different. A little bit different, yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, he's taking a trophy. Um, a weird one. Uh, An interesting trophy. Yes. If I show up with a pail, that yeah, no, never mind. <laughs> I just if, if some if some young man comes to uh, to court one of my daughters when they are of age, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to take my inspiration from the Old Testament. I'm going to sit this man down, and we're going to have a talk. <laughs> okay, son. The bride price is. I'll, I'll take livestock. <laughs> so we were talking about Melchizedek and Abraham yes. at the beginning of this. Um, yeah. so, so do you see Melchizedek as a expression or a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ? I know some Possibly. people have argued that. I've run into that argument, and I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not, t- I'm not convinced of the argument. Yeah. It, it's possible. You yeah. know, it, it says in Hebrews that he was without beginning, without end. Yeah. Uh, but it's talking not about him personally. It's talking about his... Like who he who his he ministry. represents as a covenant, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that his covenant. Oh yeah, yeah. Is eternal. Uh, is a different covenant than what what God gave yeah. through to Moses and to Aaron. It's a different one. It's a higher one. Yeah. That's really what it's after. For the yeah. listener, I, I do think that he was a real flesh and blood man who was yeah. born. He had to have been. He wasn't some kind of phantom. He was a guy. Yeah. yeah. And for the listener, that's Hebrews seven. If you want to, mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to see the connection, <clears throat> yeah. So we've uh, we've we can move through Melchizedek to, to Sarah being barren. That's yeah. a big theme. Yeah, yeah. Barrenness. Okay, when you see a barren woman in the scriptures, the very next thing that you you should expect 
was a miracle. <laughs> yes. All right. So we've got Sarah. She's barren. And I believe how old? She was 90 when she had. She uh, was 90 when Isaac was born. When Isaac was born, yeah. And Abram was 90-something or other. Okay, now, the fact that... Uh, 99. The fact that the Bible speaks about how she was way, way past her years of childbearing. Yep. And still good-looking. Yeah. And still good-looking enough that kings are, are trying to... Run off with her. Run off with her. You know, if I'm that good years old, right? She's 90 years old. If I'm that good-looking at 90, like, can <laughs> My, my mother-in-law lived to be just about 90, and I don't think any kings would have looked at her. <laughs> yeah. Bless her. It's yep. a different time in history. Yes. True. But, but I'm just thinking about it in terms of, uh, you know, we can look back at those old times, and mm. because they lived as long as they did, well, maybe their childbearing years were, were like really, really long. But it says well, here, yeah. 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 In, in Abram's day, Sarah was way, way past, like, impossibly past impossibly past the years of childbearing yes. by then yeah which sounds pretty much like now yeah actually it doesn't you know, sound much there, different there's no women bearing children into their 90s you know now no it just doesn't happen you don't yeah, yeah. it would be very rare for it to happen over 50 i think yeah yeah, yeah. I, it, it is it would make the news <laughs> <laughs> so the um the, like this is a miracle now she what what do, you, what do you make of Hagar and Sarai's intention with Hagar? It seems to me that she's she's got this promise. Yeah. She sees her own barrenness, and then she's like, "Well, we can we can find a way to make this work." Well, think about it. In chapter sixteen, mm-hmm. <clears throat> chapter sixteen is where God, uh, or maybe it's just in the end of fifteen where God does that uh, that covenant thing with mm-hmm. Abram and walks yeah. between the pieces. And, That's fifteen, yeah. And that that story, and in that he reiterates his promise to Abram yeah. that that he is going to be uh, his God, and that all this land will be his, and that he is going to have a son from mm-hmm. his own body. Yeah, it says that in that passage. Yeah, he's going to have a son from his own body. Sarah is not mentioned no in that passage okay so uh here's here's abe he lives by the word of god yep god speaks abe acts yep that's that's That's, what we see yeah we don't uh, see anything uh, don't see anything other we know at this point sarah is is she 75? Is she 65? I don't remember exactly how old she was at this one. It's one of those, but she's up there. Yep. She's long past the yep. age of childbearing. Yeah, Abram and was yet, 86 when Hagar born. God no. makes this promise to, to Abram. Yep. A son from your own body will be your heir. Well, he's, he's bound to, you know, he talks to Sarah about this. Well, this is what uh, this is what was uh, was promised. Well, doesn't mention me, does it? Says Sarah. Right. Uh, well, well, maybe there's a maybe there's a way. Yeah. Maybe there's a way this can come to pass, uh, because they're look at their characters. Abe and Sarah are both eager to do what God wants. Mm-hmm. They're both there. Yep. And so they 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 look at this situation and they say. Well, surrogacy—that maybe that'll work. Yep. 
And, and so they pursue it. You know, again, uh, again, we get after Abram for this, and we, we call it a lack of faith. Right. Uh, what he did uh, in but given, taking on this surrogate. Yeah. But given what God had spoken to him, I don't think it was a lack of faith. I think it was Abram acting by faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what was going on. Now, you can't, we can't see the long-term effects of a thing. No, not we're, when, when we're in the midst of yeah, it. We, we can see now, when we look back at that episode, we can see that, you know, the promise didn't come through that son, mm-hmm. through yep. Abram's action. Yep. It didn't come through that. It actually came through Sarah. Yep. As you would have expected, right? Yes. His wife. And we look back at Abram and we say, well... Shame on you for doing such a thing. Well, not shame on him for doing such a thing. I think he was acting in faith, mm-hmm. uh, trying to trying to see or trying to discern what it is that God wanted him to do. Yep. And it, I find it interesting that as soon as Ishmael is born, mm-hmm. Sarah and Hagar start fighting. <laughs> yeah. And I find that interesting because of what was said to Eve in Genesis 3. Okay. That there, there's this uh, this warfare between yep. the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Right. And you kind of see that throughout subsequent history, and again, like you said, Abram couldn't have seen this. Yes. Or didn't see this, that there would be strife between the descendants of Ishmael no. and the descendants of his son Isaac. Right. He couldn't have necessarily seen that, but it, it, I find it interesting yes. that these ladies get into conflict pretty much right away. And then the Lord comes to Hagar because she runs off. Yes, Hagar she, runs off. She's like, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> she, she takes her boy and she runs. Uh, and she's in, a, uh, in the desert by a spring of water, basically ready to die. And uh, the Lord actually promises her something. But what, what she promises is um, that the, lo- the Lord has promised that he's listened to your affliction. Yeah. And your son is going to be a wild donkey of a man. Mm-hmm. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will dwell over against all his kinsmen. Right. So he's a wild donkey of a man. Okay. Now, that does <laughs> not mean that he was outside of God's care. No. No. It because doesn't. it yeah. says actually in the text somewhere about Ishmael mm. uh, that God loved him. Yeah, yes. God seemed to really care about Ishmael. He, and he really Hagar. did. Yes, he did, and and as you as you find later, mm-hmm. Ishmael becomes the father of twelve, long before Jacob does. Yes, yeah. As does Abraham's brother Nahor. He also becomes the father of twelve. Yep. So we get this these hints of what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> and and the thing is, yeah. is that already God is beginning to fulfill His promise to bless the nations through yep. Abram. He's he's blessing Ishmael, even yes. though Ishmael isn't. Uh, the, the one through whom the ultimate blessing will come. Yes. And Ishmael is blessed in his inclusion in Israel later. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, and much, much later, too. Listen, yes. to, uh, think about this. Uh, the, the wise men who come bringing gold and frankincense mm-hmm. and myrrh to the baby Jesus, we've often wondered, what about, where are these guys coming from? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you see in Isaiah... The prophet, he talks about people bringing myrrh and such. And the people who are bringing it? Ishmael. Are Ishmael's kids. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's interesting. <laughs> and, and it is. Yeah, yeah. Modern Arabs trace their lineage back to Ishmael. Uh-huh. So whenever an yeah. Arab comes to Christ, which is happening a lot these days. Yeah, so he's, he's got a deep, deep history with us. Yes. Whenever an Arab <laughs> comes to Christ, this is, this is a man of Ishmael coming into the promise. Yeah. Ishmael and Isaac are reunited yes. in Christ. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, and it all starts back here. Yeah, it all starts <laughs> back here. So all these, all these stories, they're not just random. Mm-hmm. They're not just random, strange things. These are, these are, uh, are things that God uses to, to show the Lord, the, the prelude to the Lord Jesus coming. Mm-hmm. There, that's what God was setting something big up. In, in the whole Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament, God was setting up this big thing of the Lord Jesus actually coming into the world to save it. Mm-hmm. Okay? So <laughs> let's keep that as the big picture as we keep digging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then after, uh, after this whole birth of Ishmael, mm-hmm. we have uh, chapter 17, circumcision. Right. On the eighth day. Circumcision yeah. becomes a big, big deal theologically. Theologically a big deal. In the deal. rest of the Bible. Yes. Because there's there's baptism connections. Yep. There yeah. are. There, there it's not it's not particularly a one to one relationship. But it's there. But there's connections. Yeah. Uh, there. and baptismal connections also exist with uh, the Levitical washings. Yes. In uh, mm-hmm. in Moses. And with the flood. And with the flood. <clears throat> and with the Red Sea. Yep. So one one thing you'll find as uh, you have discussions with people over Genesis 17 is people people state that it was a national symbol or maybe a physical or fleshly symbol. Right. But I think it's very clear in Genesis 17 that there's a very spiritual meaning because yes. the whole first eight verses are all about God's covenant yeah. and mm-hmm. God's love. Um, <clears throat> yep. So there's there's very much a spiritual meaning. And what you find through the Old Testament is that... Um, even if the ex, even if there was that external sign of circumcision, it was always supposed to point to something deeper, which is that God wanted uh, His people to circumcise their hearts and not just their foreskins. Yes, and it does say that in the Old Testament. Yeah, repeatedly. Yeah. So I I would say it's a sign of the covenant. It's a sign of holiness. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I think there's definitely like a holiness purity kind of thing, which would connect with. Um, for example, First uh, Corinthians seven, where it's verse fourteen, where it says the children of at least one believer are made holy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot packed into that passage. <laughs> yes, there is. Yeah. Now, uh, with regards to to Sarah being the one to bear the child, this is when God says, "Nah, it's, it's going to be Sarah. through Sarah." Yeah. He makes this very clear. Okay. Ishmael's 13 years old, or he's 12 years old right here. He's 13 when Isaac is born. Yes. So as far as the information that God got or God gave to Abram and that Abram got from God, mm-hmm. uh, it was a long, long time coming. Yep. This this knowledge that this good. child is actually going to be born from Sarah. Yeah. And, and if you years. remember, both yeah. of them laugh at yeah. this. Abram's like, yeah. oh, that you would I've got I've got a boy right here. Yeah. I've got an heir. I don't I don't need a spare. Let's let's go. Like, my <laughs> wife's old. She's not gonna have babies anymore. <laughs> I love her, but look, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, 
So, uh, and then, yeah, when, and it's when his son Ishmael is 13 years old yeah. uh, that they are, that every man in the household is circumcised. Right. So we can, we can play. So that. circumcision comes in mm-hmm. and then the son of the promise is born. Yes. It's yeah. almost as if the old heart of flesh needed to be removed before uh-huh. the new heart, or the old heart of stone before the new heart of flesh. Yeah. There's connections, there's connections there, there to, there. yes. God's yes. trying to break through Abraham's, uh, s- I guess there's a bit of stubbornness there. Oh, and perhaps. Maybe a little bit of unbelief. Perhaps. And then you also have when Israel crosses into the promised land under Joshua, the entire nation is then circumcised. Yeah. Just and before. A- after circumcision yeah. comes conquest. Yes. After circumcision comes the blessing of God. Yep. And it's That's in- interesting. It is very interesting. So we've got Isaac following after the circumcision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, <laughs> we have the Lord breaking out against Sodom. Yes. Yeah, that, that whole business all happens right, right near to one another. Yep. Okay, so... Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, the, the Sodom event, uh, Sarah is not yet expecting at no. the Sodom event. Not yet. This is when she finds out. Well, that's when, yeah, the, when she hears from the angel that uh, she's going to have a child. Yep. And she's in the tent. She's laughing. She laughs. She's 90, and, like, come on. Yes. <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> you can just imagine. That, that really is something to laugh about. Oh, yes. Just think about it. Well, then God says, everyone who hears this shall laugh. Yes. So we're laughing right now. Yeah, because it is funny. <laughs> God, God wants us to laugh. <laughs> it's interesting that these three... Three men. Abe Abe has three men come to him. Three men at this uh, at this tree. Why three? And it's <laughs> they their conversation is with Abe, mm-hmm. but it's not directed to Abe. It's directed to Sarah mm-hmm. yeah. behind the tent door. Yeah, because they come in and they're talking. You know. Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son. Yeah. <laughs> and, Sarah, and Sarah's over there listening. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just keep your voice down. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so so maybe Abraham knew that, and they were maybe it was Sarah who was the one who was struggling with unbelief more yeah. than Abraham. I, I think that's probably so. It's possible. Mm. I could see it. Yeah. Another thing that I find interesting <laughs> about this uh, this whole episode is uh, in verse seventeen. Right, so they've they've had their meal. They've they've talked about Abram. It's through Sarah that the son shall come. Sarah's laughed. They're like, "Hey, you were laughing." She's like, "No, I wasn't." They're like, "Ah, you were laughing." <laughs> so, verse seventeen, it says, "The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do?'" Okay, and we get into the discussion now of Sodom. What I find interesting here is that it just the Lord said, "Yeah, one of these three men was the Lord. is identified here as the Lord." Yeah. So oh, yeah. who are the other two? Are they not the Son and the Holy Spirit? I don't know. I, well, the, the, I two so. that, the two that went down mm. to Sodom were yeah. angels. Angels. So yeah. That we that, know. Yeah, that's the but word. But Abe, Abe stays and talks to With, the one who stayed, and he talks to him as the Lord. Yeah. So this is very interesting. I think it, it's certainly, it, it, well, I don't know, certainly. I think it's a pre-incarnate yep. Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's who I think he's talking to. Right. But yeah. this is, I think, symbolic of the Trinity. You've got three of them. Yeah. But so these angels go down to, uh, to Sodom. 
Sodom. And the Lord negotiates with Abram. Yeah. As the Lord, he did that more often. With Abraham. He did. And the, he talks with Abraham routinely. Well, <laughs> I don't know that it's routinely. Well, it he does talks with up. Abram periodically. Yeah. If you're Abram and you're living, it doesn't seem like it's routine. Right. It's 13 years since he spoke last. Yeah, but yeah. In, in, in the right. page, right, you flip it and it's like the next paragraph. Yes, in the page. <laughs> yeah. looks, it looks so. Which is interesting because that's a, uh, I, I guess, a, um, uh, a, a picture of what God did with Adam. In the garden, he walked yeah. and talked with Adam, and so the Lord doesn't do that in the same way with Abraham. But it, there it's seems to be a, another mm-hmm. reiteration of of Adam here. Yes, yeah. a new world. Yeah, and then uh, the Lord tells Abram what he's about to do. So this is this is a this is another interesting thing. Not mm-hmm. only am I going to make sure that you have a son through Sarah, mm-hmm. I'm also passing judgment over here. Yes. And then Abram, he's like, well, okay. Um, yes, uh, but, but God, why, <laughs> my nephew why, why didn't God just go and pass judgment? Why did he need to stop and talk to Abram? Yeah, why? I don't know. I, 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 think, <laughs> there, I think there's a good answer to that. Mm-hmm. He says later, and I think you, uh, I think you went through this, because I think it's in Amos, that God never does anything without first consulting his prophets. True. Mm. He yes. says that later on. Do two walk together unless they are agreed? I mm-hmm. think that's chapter three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that God, God is is interested in what his people have to say about stuff. There, mm-hmm. And why do God, we pray? <laughs> the, the, the sovereign God of the universe who rules over everything. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he can act alone if he wants. Oh, quite. He doesn't want. He doesn't need me. He, he, and yet he does. Well, it's not a need. He, wa- yeah. he, he, he wants to hear from you. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know. Yeah. He, he wants me to address him so that he will change things. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, he it, w- it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, this t- I'm like this. <laughs> and and he's, he's God Almighty. But he still wants to hear from his prophets. Yes. Yeah. And and it's not like he wants to hear like a like a child reciting something small. No, he, he's looking for an he's, argument. He, he's a Abram serves as a counselor yep. in this situation. He does. It's like God comes to a counselor and he asks him, "What do you think I should do?" <laughs> Yeah, and Abram, it says, drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So Abram immediately appeals to the righteousness of God. Yes. He's like, but you're righteous. Are you going to kill the righteous? Yeah. And the Lord is like, what do you mean? Tell me more. Yeah. Abram's like, suppose there's 50 righteous. (laughs) And the Lord's like, oh, 50 righteous. Okay, okay. You know what? For For 50, if I find 50... I'll, I'll spare the city. Yeah. And then Abram, you can, you can just see the smoke pouring out of his ears because <laughs> he knows that there's not 50 righteous men in that town. He's been there. He knows that. Yeah. Uh, he delivered these people from an, yeah. an invader. He knows all about them. He's like, uh, 50. Okay, 50, 50. What about... Five less. Yeah, 50 for the lack of five. Are you going to, like, if it's 45, are you still going to trash the town? And guys, like, okay, okay. And then he gets them all the way down to 10. <laughs> 10. Yes. And then Abram's like, I think I've pushed his patience far enough. 
There, there used to be a saying before it became politically incorrect <laughs> when I was a child uh, of Jewing somebody down. Yes, and that this is that's where that came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's well, negotiated the price as low as possible, <laughs> and, and it's funny because you get you get the feeling that Abram is really he's he knows he's grasping at ten. Yeah, yeah. Like there must there's gotta there's be, gotta be ten. Gotta be 10. <laughs> I know Lot's down. There's gotta be, be nine more, right? Yeah. And we find out that there wasn't. Because right. not even Lot's son-in-laws were righteous. Yeah, no. when when he warned them of the coming judgment, they mocked him. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and uh, he had to go out to find them. Who remember who was outside his door? Every man of the town. Every man of the town was outside his door. They were among that crowd. Yes. And when the angel struck them with blindness, it wasn't it wasn't blindness as in oh they can never see again. Mm-hmm. It was bedazzlement. Yeah. So they couldn't find the door. Yeah. They they could still see, or they thought they could see. They just couldn't see what was real. And who knows what indescribable crimes they were committing to each other? Yes, in that monstrous crowd. Yeah. And then, the, yeah, Lot grop- has to go they out. They were and find groping them. around in the dark. Yeah, and Lot has to go out and find these guys. Yeah, yeah, and, which is, I think, a testimony to his earnest desire that they be saved. Yeah, like he he goes out into this murderous crowd. They can't get their hands <laughs> Lot, on him. Lot was no coward. No, he, this, <laughs> he was no coward. He is not a coward. Goodness. Uh, yeah, I, I just find that crazy that Abraham is appealing to God mm-hmm. on the behalf of such a wicked city. Yes. And yeah. we hear conservative Christians in our time saying about Canada, Lord, strike Canada dead. And it's like, no, actually, we should be praying for Canada and praying that God <laughs> would bring them to repentance. Make it live. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there is I, obviously there's a place for imprecatory prayers yes. on, on certain people, but we should be mm-hmm. praying for the nation. Yeah, and so. yeah, we, we, we want this nation to live. Yeah, exactly. Like, the Lord does yeah. not rejoice in the death of the wicked. Right. Yeah. Right, that's what it says. Mm-hmm. And Lot here is, uh, I think, an example of a man who, who gets that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, uh, Lot's got these two visitors, these two angelic visitors, and then this mob outside of his house, and he sees what's going on. He knows what's about. He knows this. He's mm-hmm. been told, "Get out! We're we're going to destroy yeah. this place." And he's like, "Oh, yeah." So immediately he goes and he tries to get his people out. Yeah, and he can't. Yeah, his son-in-laws, they're sodomites. Yeah, he can't get them out. Yeah, but he he yeah. does he does escape. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> he escapes with his wife and two daughters. Yep, mostly. Mostly. Of course, she's... Uh, Turned to salt. The Lord enjoins yeah. us to remember Lot's wife. that lady. Yes. Yeah. Remember Lot's wife. Well, what do you remember her for? Well, Well-seasoned. She was well-seasoned. She, she was well-seasoned. Yeah. She, she turned back. She was assaulted. She was. She, yeah. <laughs> she turned back towards a city of destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, looking back on it longingly. Looking back longingly at something that God hates. Yes, yeah. there's lessons in that. Mm-hmm. And when there? we get when we get to the Exodus, we see another example of that. Yeah, you know, where the people are like, "Oh, Egypt was great. We want to go back." Like to quote Keith Green, "Eating leeks and onions by the Nile, right? Ooh, at breath, but dining out in style." <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> You got to be a certain age to get that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, she's she's a, a marvelous lesson in uh, in what not to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And, and so we, uh, the the lot makes it to Zoar. He's he's pleaded for Zoar, which is interesting. He says, isn't that isn't that close? We we can run there. We can't run to the hills. Who's in the hills? Yeah, Abram. Abram's in the hills. Of course, he can run to the hills. Well, he could run to the hills, but it would require him to to be shame faced. Yeah, he would show up with which uh, literally the which clothes on his really back. seemed to trouble Lot. He did yeah. not want to be ashamed. He did not want. To be put to shame. Remember the psalmist later on, Lord, please do not put me to shame. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, Lot was put to shame and 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 big time. Yep. Because he wouldn't bow the knee. He wouldn't humble himself and go back mm-hmm. to Abram. And if he had gone back to Abram, this entire story at the end of chapter 19 would not have happened. Yes, those daughters, those daughters had Sodom wrapped around their heart. Yes, mm-hmm. they did. Uh, they didn't see any future, mm-hmm. any future. And so what they needed, what they wanted to do was recreate mm-hmm. what they had because that's the only thing they knew. Yep. And so, yep. and then so we got- there's this, this seduction that happens in this cave, mm-hmm. which is, of course, halfway up in the hills. Yep. The hills that he didn't want to go to. He ran to Zoar, mm-hmm. had to get out of that town because the people who scattered from it were probably going to come back and ask lots of uncomfortable questions <laughs> about this one survivor from Sodom. Yep. How did, what you-, did you do? What did you do? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd be asking those questions. I would so, <laughs> Mr. Lot. Yeah. So, and then we get Moab and Ammon from yes, this. which yeah. uh, which two groups form a substantial uh, enemy and obstacle mm-hmm. for God's people over the years. I think uh, God forbade Israelites from burying Moabites or Ammonites to the 10th generation, if I'm correct. Yes. Yep. Which is interesting when we get to Ruth. Yes, it is. Yeah. Which is very interesting. I think she comes before the 10th generation. Yeah. So she, uh, yeah. And what I find most, there's two things I find interesting in that story is that a man from uh, Israel, from Benjamin, yeah. Flees the land going east. Again, we're talking about direction, yep. right? That matters. He goes east because of a famine. What, what's a famine doing in the land of plenty? Yeah. Oh, right. They're, they're the apostate. House of bread. Bethlehem. Yeah. yeah, Bethlehem, the house of bread. Why, why is the house of bread empty? Yeah, house of bread has no bread. Yeah, so they're, they're apostate. So then he goes to Moab, mm-hmm. and then his sons marry Moabite women. Yeah. So he's in Moab for which a while. Which was forbidden. Which yeah. was forbidden. And then... Uh, his sons die and he dies. Yeah. So he falls under the curse. Yes. He's judged. Yeah. Much like his father's dying in the wilderness on the way to Israel yeah. or Palestine. So then his wife and one daughter-in-law, Ruth, yeah. Ruth. Re- return to the land. Yes. And now she she is as marvelous, your God will be my God, your people, my people. We often include that line in wedding ceremonies yes. to this day because it's so beautiful. Yeah, and she was talking to her mother-in-law. She was ta- yeah. And, she, <laughs> and, and you're looking at these two women who are utterly destitute, Yeah, have nothing. Now, unlike Lot, right, Naomi is like, yeah, I'm going back to the I'm house of back. bread. I'm going back. I'm going back to the house of bread. Yes. My, my idiot of a husband drug me off into Moab, and that didn't work out. <laughs> okay, so back we go. So they go back, and then from that comes David yeah, and Christ. Yes, and, <laughs> and, and from that also comes 
uh, something that shows up again and again and again and again in the pages of the Old Testament. God is not just concerned with Israel. Mm -hmm. He's working elsewhere. God is concerned to build Israel into a light. Mm -hmm. God is concerned with bringing Jesus into the world. Jesus who is going to, to, to gather his people from every tribe and tongue and nation and, and language. Uh, he, Ruth's a Gentile. Yep. She's, she's outside, and God brings her in. Mm-hmm. That's been on his heart. From the beginning. From the beginning. Yep. He's wanted to bring in those who are lost and wandering and bring them into his fold and treat them as his own. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's on the heart of God then, and it's on the heart of God now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, we're going to have to pick up a third, a third run Genesis. at Genesis. Yeah. Uh, we've been at this here now for upwards of an hour. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's close this off for, for now, mm-hmm. and we will pick it up later again. Yeah. Excellent. So it's been a delight to uh, talk with you about Genesis. We are going to do some more of that, and hopefully one of these days we'll make it to the end. Yeah. Well, Wouldn't that be something? Well, two episodes, and we've gotten to the end of chapter 19. Well, that's not <laughs> that, means, I mean, that means if we're doing 10, 10 uh, chapters per episode, we'll do five episodes on this. Ah. Ah, you so, mathed it. Okay. Mathed it, yeah. Wait until we get to Leviticus. Even pastors can do math. Wow. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> and you know, if we do that for every book of the Bible, yeah. we could be doing a blog posts like, or I mean, uh, podcast <laughs> things. We yeah. could be doing this like perpetually. Quite. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, this is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Mm. Well, uh, we here at the uh, Chinook podcast want to uh, commend studying Genesis to you. Mm-hmm. And we. Ask the Lord uh, for his blessing upon Western Canada. We want him to pour out his spirit that many, many people would come to the Lord Jesus, would uh, those who have wandered from him, those who have been long and far away from him, the Lord Jesus welcomes strangers. Do come in. Come in to the Lord Jesus, to his church, and Uh, blessings to you all. We're thankful for you, and we ask that he would do wondrous things for you. So, amen to that. Amen Amen to that. The Lord bless you all. Mm